0: What's with this part of February? This is way over our heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, you are in your element. Winter is uh, coming back.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for an encore, it appears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or yes, or for maybe who knows, maybe a Minnesota goodbye. Um, are you? Yeah, you, you know. I know we talk about this. Are, are you finding it, Jim? I know that you've been struggling. Can you embrace this one or are you giving it the finger?
0: Kenny, I'm not giving it the finger. I'm kind of giving it open arms. I have to tell you, Kenny, this is the winter where I finally have come to terms with winter. I mean, it's been, Mm. and correct me if I'm wrong, but we have had below normal temperatures for a a fairly good portion of both uh, January and as far as we've gotten into February so far. So it's been a chillier winter, maybe not quite as much snow during the past few weeks as normal but we got some coming now uh so yeah kenny i'm embracing it yesterday of course a beautiful day low 40s uh not a lot of wind a great day to be outside but you know what as far as i uh can see
1: bring the snow bring it on
0: yeah i'm sure. ready
1: <laughs> it's it's a good thing you mentioned that because it has been a cold period but you know we we focus on minnesota on this podcast we're gonna minnesota i mean you know There's going to be Wisconsin because we're so close. That's so close to the Twin Cities. But a lot of listeners might not know. You go to Sioux Falls or Yankton or Chamberlain, South Dakota, and it is a whole other ball game. They have not been cold this winter. They have been mild to you know normal to mild. And you get far enough west and south of here into parts of North Central and Western Nebraska and southwestern south dakota and it has been a downright warm winter time so uh you know what a difference a political <laughs> border can
0: make <laughs> uh, that should be a topic for a future podcast here kenny because i mean that's in pretty close proximity to where we live and yet a vastly different kind of winter for them we will talk oh, yeah, about why absolutely. that is sometime yeah well kenny we've got a storm bearing down uh it's a two-parter a two-act play uh, part of it's already in progress, starting in the Dakotas, moving now slowly to the southeast, or at least I think it's relatively slowly. And um, the main event for at least the Twin Cities metro and parts of southern Minnesota, not coming until tomorrow, Tuesday, correct?
1: Yeah. So good summary there, Jim. So we're recording this on, what is it, Monday, President's Day, the 21st of February. And yeah, You know the Weather Service has done a really good job with this, but it's tough to message this kind of thing when you have, you know, a winter storm ongoing, hitting pretty hard already in parts of central Minnesota, and then, uh, you know, where the population center is down in the Twin Cities, and and people are kind of kind of thinking, well, what's the big fuss? But uh, fortunately, the Weather Service has been doing a pretty good job of messaging on this that. Most of Monday, the Twin Cities is going to sit out, but it will hit hard in central Minnesota between, oh, you know, St. Cloud and Little Falls and Brainerd up towards even Duluth and parts of the Arrowhead, uh, especially the southern Arrowhead. And then Pine City, Hinkley, uh, over towards even Fergus Falls, that kind of swath of central Minnesota is go- <laughs> Jim is going to get railed today. Heavy snow. And then there will be a little bit of a lull. And then you get the second wave of energy that comes out on Tuesday morning, probably starting in the late overnight period in southwestern Minnesota and working eastward and northeastward across the state on Tuesday. And you're right. That's when the Twin Cities will get into it. Now, this is all one storm. It just has two different components to it. But either one of these components in its own right would be a big one. And so you team them up. It's a good looking storm. You know, I don't know what you've seen. A lot of the official forecasts, Jim, call for, you know, four to eight, maybe five to 10, maybe six to 12 inches of snow. Finally, when it's all said and done in and around the twin cities, I I agree with that. And then they always say, you know, and some higher amounts off to the North, you're going to get six to 12 inches just today with higher amounts also. And of course, of course there's always that there's some uncertainty here which is making things a little challenging because I think the weather service knows that they can bank on, you know, 6 to 12 or 8 to 14 inches of snow in that swath across central Minnesota today but they also know that somewhere in there could be much higher amounts and especially when you add in the the bonus snow that's going to fall on Tuesday, you know, some of these areas could be north of 20 inches by by the time by the wow. time we're done with this thing but there's that uncertainty and that keeps the forecasters a little bit conservative in their estimations of how much snow is going to fall
0: well kitty we hear that word uncertainty a lot when it's associated with forecasting snowfall totals what is the source of this uncertainty
1: in the winter time yeah that's a good question i mean and and you're right and you see this everywhere And you really see it if you pay attention to those big nor'easters that affect the East Coast, where, you know, we think it's tough here. But you take one of those low pressure systems and put it out over the ocean. And then you drive, you know, some cold air across Massachusetts and Maine. And there's usually a line of where it's too cold for the precipitation to form and fall as snow and where it's too warm for the precipitation that does form to fall as snow. And finding that line is often a matter of, you know, 15, 20 miles of uncertainty. And that that can make, you know, that could be the difference you could have. You could be forecasting 16 inches over New York City. And if the thing slides too far east, then it hits Long Island and you have 10 million really unhappy people. Uh, or, or if you think it's going to be warm, but the cold air filters in and the same megalopolis gets, uh, you know, instead, (laughs) instead gets 15 unexpected inches of snow, you you end up with a bunch of unhappy New Yorkers. So uncertainty is a big deal. And we feel it here too, because there's always this sense of, uh, where the, where we, are pretty sure there's going to be some precipitation and pretty sure it's going to be snow, but you often have uncertainty about exactly how much will fall, where the heaviest snow will be, and often that cutoff between where it really doesn't snow very much at all and uh, where it snows pretty good is also a source of uncertainty. So, So to understand uncertainty, I think we should just talk quickly about what you know why we have precipitation at all now jim i know you have taken a meteorology course before and you were really a student of the atmosphere and so what what can you tell listeners and don't don't, don't feel too on the spot okay. i'm just putting you on the spot <laughs> but what can you, what do you You know, what are the basic ingredients that are required for precipitation?
0: Well, first of all, you need moisture, a source of moisture. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, when it comes to where we're getting the source of moisture for this particular storm system. So you need that. Then you need some kind of mechanism to cause a lift in the atmosphere. And um, during the summer, we think of that as convection quite often or a frontal forcing lift, a front forcing a lift. Um, winter, it can be a little bit different though. So there is a mechanism at work here that's forcing lift. And, um, one of the words is something associated with spring and summer. We hear a lot about the jet stream. This is a jet streak that's forcing that lift. What exactly is that, Kenny? And how does it differ from the jet stream? Are they one and the same? Or is this, is this a, a child of the jet stream? What exactly is the relationship between the streak and the stream?
1: Yeah, that's great. I, I remember Jim when I was, you know, when I was a student. But before I even became a student of meteorology, I was just a kid interested in the weather, and I'd heard about these jet streaks, and I had no idea what the difference was between the jet streak and the jet stream. And they are sort of similar. I mean, the jet stream we think of as this kind of continuous ribbon of fast-moving air. It's like a river that guides weather systems through the northern hemisphere. And there's actually multiple jet streams. So there's one that, you know, affects us for much of the year, and we just call it the jet stream. But there's another one that runs through subtropical areas. So think closer to the kind of US-Mexico border. It's a little bit weaker, but it can be a source of deep moisture. And then, of course, in the southern hemisphere and up by the Arctic, there are also jet streams. These are, you know, just kind of somewhat continuous. But you could almost think of that as like, if you just take a bad analogy and think of them as highways or roads that the weather systems travel through, you get to certain areas where the configuration of the jet stream uh, allows the air to really accelerate uh, and move much faster. And sometimes there's other there's. It's more than just the jet stream. It, it's the dynamics. Of the atmosphere with forcing from above and below the point where the jet stream is, that can also influence this. But you get these pockets of much faster moving air. And you know, there's all these behaviors that get induced as you know, as as air is moving rapidly, you know, around a turn, for example, you have different air motions on the front side versus the back side. So you have, you know, you have the if you really get deep into the weeds, you have the rear and the front. The, the exit region and the entrance region. And we probably don't need to talk too much about that. But when you have reasonably strong weather systems, the jet streak can induce some of the lift that you're talking about. And you're right. Precipitation is formed by moisture and lift. It's, it's almost always that simple. And when we talk about lift, for the listeners who maybe haven't studied this or thought about it much, we're just some way to get the moisture that's in the air, elevate it, some way to lift it, lift the air up. Because once you lift the air, it's subjected to the laws of physics. And the laws of physics say that as air rises, so this could be from, you know, going up over a mountain, or it could be when you have one of those sharp cold fronts coming through with really dense air and that dense cold air pushes the warm air ahead of it, kind of scoops it up and gives that a little boost. Any way That you lift the air or cause it to rise the air will suddenly and instantly have less pressure on it right as as because there's a fixed amount of pressure in the atmosphere and as you go higher the pressure the amount of the atmosphere above you drops and so the pressure becomes lesser well if there's less pressure on this rising volume of air it expands a little bit and then the work of expansion helps it cool and then as it cools without getting too insanely deep on this, just say as it cools, its relative humidity tends to increase because uh, essentially it's easier to saturate cooler air than warmer air. So you've heard people say, you know, warm air holds more water than cold air. It's not quite that simple, but it's in many ways kind of close enough. So once you get that air rising, then it has the ability for its humidity to increase and eventually it condenses. Informs precipitation. So, what we have this time is moisture streaming in. Much of it is coming from the Gulf of Mexico out ahead of a low pressure system. The low pressure, it's kind of an unusual configuration, but it's basically a Colorado low of the type that often come through the panhandle of Texas and Oklahoma, although this one isn't really going to hook northeastward in the same way. And it doesn't have that same concentric ring shape that a lot of low pressure systems have, but it is able to pump moisture into our region and our region is very cold. So that moist air, which has some warmth to it, then rises up over the cold air in place. And that is one of the sources of lift. But then there's also this jet streak overhead where the configuration of the air just happens to be that the winds are sort of the air streams are kind of parting in other words they're, they're kind of creating a vacuum and that helps the air rise even more so we have two sources of lift we have the jet streak that you talked about that's kind of encouraging the air to rise and then you also have this influx of relatively light air it's it's full of humidity and it's kind of warm being pumped up from the south but it doesn't stand a chance against that invading cold air that's in place. So the warm air and the moist air just kind of rises up and over it. And those things all together combine to produce some precipitation. So we know that there's going to be, you know, a lot of this moisture being wrung out in an air mass, that's very cold. I mean, in, in central Minnesota, temperatures are in the teens and single digits already. And so, uh, and they'll be dropping through the, through the day and into the evening. So it's pretty efficient snowfall mechanism. So that's, we know based on the quantity of moisture that we're going to have probably a half an inch or so of precipitation falling in those areas. And you can turn that into anywhere between six and 12, maybe eight and 14 inches of snow. So we kind of have this broad, broad brush area where we know there's going to be, you know, somewhere between a half a foot and a foot of snow, maybe a little bit more than that. But then there's still, you know, some areas that are going to get even more.
0: So, Kenny, we hear that term frontogenesis quite often, and it's associated with this particular storm system. What exactly does that mean?
1: <laughs> Jim, you think we hear the term frontogenesis? I think you mean you and I. <laughs> well, that's true. You know? Yeah, I don't think yeah. the average listener yeah. hears yeah. the word or. Well, that's it. I'm glad you brought it up because that's actually our source of uncertainty. So, I just explained to the listeners why we have precipitation but you had actually started by asking well why why do we have the uncertainty anyway and it does come down to this thing called frontogenesis now you might remember from meteorology jim meteorologists have some kind of obsession with the noun genesis comes up a lot tornado
0: genesis it's like yeah kind of this birth fascination (laughs)
1: Yeah, we like using it a lot as a suffix. So, yes, we have tornado genesis, the formation of a tornado. Cyclogenesis, which is actually a really big one. This is kind of the processes that form cyclones. Uh, A deeper version of cyclogenesis, bombogenesis, where a a cyclone becomes a bomb cyclone, which means it loses 24 uh, millibars of pressure in 24 hours. And then, of course, we have frontogenesis. Now, that's a pretty Ugly portmanteau, in my view. I mean,
0: you're taking this
1: <laughs> term "front," which is basically an old war reference, where you kind of have battling air masses, and then you're giving it, yeah, that you're adding the suffix "genesis." So it's the formation of a front. And I'd say the main difference is we think of cold fronts and warm fronts as a, a air mass boundary passes. You can kind of feel the air change character frequently. It becomes warmer. Or it becomes colder. And those really refer to surface interactions where big, you know, air, one air mass replaces another. And right on the boundary or near the boundary at the surface, we draw, you know, a blue line with triangles or a red line with half circles. And those are cold and warm fronts, respectively. But up in the atmosphere, especially when you have these kind of complex weather systems moving through, you also have fronts that form air mass boundaries that form, but they're, they're forming in multiple directions. They're not just forming laterally, which is kind of the main way we experience them here at the surface, right? Cause there is no down, but in the, in the, as you go up, you've got up and down and left and right, and you got all the directions and you can get air mass boundaries forming in many different directions. But the main thing is, is they do, they find that, you know, the, the leading edge of warm, relatively warm and relatively moist air And you'll have a little boundary. And then once the precipitation is generated, you know, precipitation, if it's falling through really dry air, then the precipitation will evaporate and cool that air that it's falling through. And that can form a mini front also. But uh, another thing that happens is when you condense moisture into precipitation, that part of the process where you're going from the vapor form to the liquid form, that actually releases heat. Latent and as you, heat. Yes, latent it releases heat. latent heat into actual heat that you can sense, what we call sensible heat, and that further warms the air. And if the air is then further warmed, it is more prone to rising. And as it rises, it is more prone to cooling and condensing and forming more precipitation. So there's also an element of frontogenesis that sort of self-reinforces. And this is the thing that's really hard. We know, for example, on a day like today, the meteorologists know you're going to ring out somewhere between a third and two thirds of an inch of precipitation, liquid equivalent precipitation into this really cold air. And so that's going to leave you with your six to 12 inches of snow. But there's also going to be somewhere in there, these frontogenetic, Uh, areas or regions, and they're going to be very small, but maybe they'll form little lines and streaks, and they're going to enhance the precipitation processes through that enhancement of lift, either because there's additional cooling happening that's then providing lift to the air around it, or because there's warming happening, which would allow the air that's warming to actually rise more. And so the models that are used to make forecasts, they can't get within that 20 to 50 miles of uncertainty to really nail exactly where the frontogenetic bands of enhanced precipitation are going to be. So we're left with this sort of broad brush forecast of you know six to 12 inches of snow, even though we know somewhere in there is going to get pounded with more than that. And we had a snowstorm in December in the Twin Cities where you know we got a good 10 inches of snow. Maybe it was 11 at the airport, but there was one of these bands down in parts of Scott County And uh, Dakota County and far southern Hennepin County, where there was a stronger frontogenesis and it enhanced the snowfall rates so that those areas just a few miles, maybe five miles from the airport ended up with 16, 17, 18 inches of snow. So it can really make a difference, but you never know exactly where those are going to set up. And in fact, at the beginning of that snowstorm in December, I did not think anyone was thinking that, you know, Uh, Invergrove Heights was going to come out with a jackpot and have 18 inches of snow. Everyone thought it would probably be somewhere else. But so that's the uncertainty, Jim. So we should probably since we just went into a scientific discourse, (laughs) we should probably uh, remind viewers we're talking about listeners. Sorry. Uh, We're talking about a heavy snowstorm on Monday and Tuesday, February 21st and 22nd that will produce a good 6 to 12 inches first on Monday up in central Minnesota, north of the Twin Cities with frontogenesis and other sources of uncertainty contributing to uh, streaks. Isolated areas getting even more snow, maybe closer to 15, even 18 inches. And that's just on Monday. Then we have the main low pressure area getting a little bit closer to the region, sending another wave of energy Across central and southern Minnesota on Tuesday, that's going to produce another healthy swath of snow. I'd say, you know, easily four to eight inches for most folks. And that includes areas in central Minnesota that got hit today on Monday. So we're looking at storm totals in the Twin Cities, anywhere between probably five and 12 inches, depending on where you are. Better chances on the north side of getting those really big snowfall amounts and also maybe on the far east side or into western wisconsin but you know otherwise easy 5 to 10 inches over most of the metro and then north of the twin cities there's going to be areas that are you know approaching you know 15 to 20 inches for storm total snowfall and you might even see some areas exceeding 20 inches all the models seem to think it's going to happen somewhere we just don't know exactly where yet
0: Ah, oh, yes, that uncertainty. Well, Kenny, <laughs> is it just my imagination, or are we seeing more February snowstorms over the
1: last several years? yeah, that's it's not your imagination. Um, we just looked at this at the climate office recently, and February has really jumped. Jim, do you remember what we were all told? was our snowiest month back in you know the 80s 70s 80s and 90s what was our snowiest month back it then? was March it was March you're correct well and and at the time March was number one and then it would you know be usually followed by January and then December and February was in fourth barely ahead of November and honestly February, Generally had less heavy snow than November. Uh, November had these famous, infamous, you know, Thanksgiving period snowstorms that would just wallop the interstate system or, you know, even Armistice Day. So November, even though it had less average snow, had this tendency to produce really huge snowstorms. And February was always kind of considered a quiet month. But if you look at the recent climate normals, the ones that are, you know, just released last year. Almost every station in Minnesota now, that major station in Minnesota, March has fallen from number one to number four. It's way down there. Wow! Yeah. It has really been displaced. Yeah, it's way down there. It just ain't what it used to be. And February has, has inched up and not just because, I shouldn't say inched up, has jumped up. And not just because March fell, but because its own snowfall has increased. February has become... A snowier month. And most of the stations uh, that have long enough records for this to matter have recorded many of their snowiest Februarys in the last 20 years. And when we look even deeper, we see that's you know there's been an increasing presence of February snowstorms making it onto the you know top 20 all-time snowstorm list at, at certain stations. And certainly when you look at February snowstorms, whether you're looking at one-day totals or two-day totals, there's kind of a dominance now of the last two decades in particular. The period since the year 2000 has really become snowier for February with more kind of big snowstorms. And some of those really pack a punch, too. I mean... Uh, and one of the things that we looked at that's even more bizarre is that a lot of these snowstorms are happening between about February 16th and the 25th. We There have been, in Minnesota, during what had traditionally been a fairly tame time of year, just in the last uh, decade, there have been, I think, nine major, and we're going to obviously be adding to that today, but nine major winter storms in Minnesota during this time of year. And quite a few of them have been right around the 21st. So there's something about this period that has really changed. And I can't tell you exactly why. We don't know if this is a lasting change or if it's just going to be, you know, kind of a a 10 to 20 year oddity. But we are definitely seeing more February snow, more February heavy snows, and in particular, more big winter storms, including some blizzards, that are hitting right around the 20th, you know, a few days either side of the 20th of February. So good observation, Jim. And yeah, it's not just you. We are definitely in some kind of pattern here.
0: Well, stay weather aware over the next couple of days. Uh, Make sure that you don't venture out if things are dangerous, if conditions worsen. It sounds like we could get some blizzard-like conditions at times in various parts of the state. So you need to be weather aware there. And Kenny, you know, the next time we get together... We should talk more about storm systems. So maybe next time we can talk about hookers, screamers, and clippers.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I think we're going to throw in the, the wanderers. Too. Yeah, exactly. Because it's kind of a, a, a breed that's a little more... We've had a few of those sort of wanderers or meanderers or um, lurkers. The ones that just sort of hang around and don't. they're not going anywhere. Um, those have been uh, more recently contributing to decent snowfall amounts too. And all the storms that Jim just named are responsible for you know, most of the snow that we see here in Minnesota and the blizzard conditions that we get up in the Red River Valley or the open areas of western and southern Minnesota also. Well, Good Kenny, idea,
0: Jim. Happy to talk right.
1: about all those.
0: <laughs> we'll do that next time. Well, Kenny, great chatting with you as always. Uh, stay safe, enjoy the weather, and we'll catch you next
1: time. Yeah, you also take care, Jim. And folks, uh, probably just stay off the roads in central Minnesota unless you really have to go somewhere. There's going to be a lot of snow. This is Way
0: Over Our Heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. We'll catch you next time.